called. James and I went around the track together. In the car with James Hunt. In the car with James Hunt in a Thunder Sports uh, car. In front of the life. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you'd seen what he was drinking before he got in the car. Uh, <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. It is um, Sunday afternoon. Of course, we don't have any racing. It's the 10th of January. We're still trying to to see if there's going to be any racing. But um, I'm, I'm joined today by Will. Will is back. How are you, sir? Hello. Hello. I'm very well. Thank you, mate. I'm glad to be back. It's been a while, I must admit. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get my teeth stuck into some Formula One-based stuff. Well, there, there, there's not a lot at the moment, and it's just me and you today. Unfortunately, Matt um, can't be with us as he has fallen ill. We're not sure what with, but... Um, he was busy taking the capital and uh, <laughs> coronavirus while storming through Nancy Pelosi's office. Uh, he was quite vocal about um, not agreeing with that. I'm not sure if you noticed <laughs> no, on, no, his, no. Uh, on his Facebook. But, um, <laughs> Matt, we wish you well and hope you feel better soon. Um so yeah, it's just the two of us. This is a first, really, for um, for the Cut to the Race podcast. Normally, there's about 20 of us, but today there's only two. Um, we do have a little um, interview that we recorded um, with Nigel, who is the um, operations manager of Silverstone, which we're going to play you a little later. Big Nige. Big Nige. Uh, we, we had a good laugh with him last night when we recorded that. So um, he's going he's gonna to tell you about how he, uh, he went, he did a lap um, with James Hunt once. Um, and he's got Lining. some other, other cool stuff to tell us. So um, stay tuned That's for that. Quality. It is. It is. Wait till you hear it, Will. You'll, uh, yeah, you'll be surprised. This guy, I thought I had some good stories, but nope, this guy <laughs> has good stories. Um, <laughs> even about what Lewis Hamilton, um, he requests before he, he gets to the circuit. All of his little requests. He's, he, he's, uh, he's shared some, um, he's shared useful, some little... Useful insights, nice. Yeah, fortunately, he doesn't work for Silverstone anymore, so he can tell us these things. If he was still an employee, ah. I think he would be... Um, uh, sworn to secrecy, but but no. Um, I, I've actually just uh, been sent some news from our news correspondent at the Nerds, Richard. Um, he, he's just told me before we started the recording that, um, that the tickets for the Canadian F1 race last year still haven't been refunded, and it's not going to happen. This seems absolutely that, shocking. That seems like bad business practice, I would have said. I mean, if you've got a huge, you know, crowd of fans who want to see racing and for whatever reason you're not able to hold the race, you're going to want them to come back next time. So surely a refund would, and especially during a year when, you know, lots of people have been sort of low on work and, you know, maybe furloughed and I don't know what the Canadian system is. That would, I don't know, that seems like a monumental cock up from whoever's uh, been doing that I, I'm a bit baffled by it to be honest yeah it, it, it doesn't seem right so I mean I, I hope that they get that sorted as as soon as possible um, we're not sure obviously if the, the race is going to go ahead this year so I'm not sure if the plan was to, um, to, to to move them over to this year but yeah it says that a lot of people still have not had refunds um, some spending up to you know two grand so wowzers um Let's let, yeah. Let's hope that gets sorted. That that was just a bit of a strange one I noticed just before we went on air. Um, I think last week we spoke about the Australian GP, obviously 
pretty much guaranteed not to go ahead. Ah, oh dear. Um, and then the other shocking one, Will, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but um, the Chinese GP is now, um, they, they are asking for it to be postponed till later in the year. I mean, mm. what's your thoughts on that? I, d- I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I personally kind of feel like it's not that surprising. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I saw it coming. I wasn't really paying attention. Um, but I think that uh, it makes sense. You know, we've got a second strain of uh, COVID-19 that's come out um, and seems to be I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's slightly more aggressive. Um, and the vaccines, uh, obviously are still in the process of being tested and, and sort of they're given out, but there's still a bit of a way to go. So I think it's probably a safeguarding measure. It makes sense. It's a shame because obviously we were all really excited to see a second season. I personally, I mean, I was so stoked. <laughs> like I was honestly so excited. Having said that, you know, I'm sure that there's good reasoning behind it and there's no point getting angry about it because we can't do anything about it. And there's, I don't know, it's not personal, is it? It's just the circumstances. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've got what we think is going to be a revised um, calendar. So don't quote us on it. This is what we think at the moment. So um, Bahrain is going to, is looking like the first one, which will be on the weekend of the 28th of March, um, followed by Portimao. Um, in uh, what's that second week of April mm-hmm. then third race Imola uh, April the Ooh. 25th then going to Barcelona on the uh, early May you say um, that like Barcelona is a good track let's not overhype people who might not have seen F1 here yeah, yeah I'm just I'm yeah. just putting it out there listen it's better but than Imola's no good. track and then <laughs> we think the fifth one is looking like Monaco which again oh. I don't know. I'll be surprised if we can make it to Monaco because that's quite a um, uh, compacted track, isn't it? Yes, yes, it's a busy, busy affair in in uh, Monaco to the point where they've got to have two levels of pit lane. So the the actual the teams sit above um, the garages and they can't actually oh, yes. see, which is uh, what caused to Daniel Ricciardo's uh, problems a few uh, years ago. Yeah, that was a mm, sad time. So, yeah, it's looking like it's going to be another COVID-affected season, which does not surprise me. I thought it was very optimistic to, to release a business-as-usual type calendar earlier on in the year. I say earlier on in the year as if it's not the 10th of January, but... Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I still think it's going to be a good year of racing, though. I mean, just just from in my initial reaction to that, um, Imola's, uh, you know, we had some decent racing this year in Italy. I think that will be... You know that well. Hopefully, that will have some fireworks. Um, and Monaco is one of my favourite tracks. Maybe it's not the most exciting track. I think there's a strong argument to say that obviously it's difficult to overtake because it's such a tight circuit. But uh, the history associated with it, the glamour, the shots of cars going past the um, you know the sort of royal box, all of that kind of stuff. I'm I'm all here for. So. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but the drivers, again, they'll be motivated. Like this year, we've seen stunning racing from, you know, blokes who've been cooped up all year and really fed up of not being able to get their teeth into some proper proper action. So, mm-hmm. um, if anything, I reckon we'll have an absolute cracking season. Yes, I do. I do. I, I, the more unpredictability, the better, I think, for F1. It, it proves it, it, it showed that last year. Talking of unpredictability, <laughs> um, what I didn't expect was... 
our good friend and um, the man who you've you've acted as, Will, um, Gunter Steiner. Yes. He has now spoken out about um, the driver that we can't name. We call him Voldemort, driver of car <laughs> number nine, anything apart from his name. Those who listen to the last podcast will know that I made a slight mistake and said his name, but it is um, it is like swearing. It is, it is banned from this uh, podcast. So reading this is going to be interesting, but... Um, <laughs> Steiner has spoken in a column that he writes. I have to start by addressing the situation with Voldemort. Uh, This is not direct quoting, obviously, okay. uh, He said, he did something he shouldn't have, and we were very outspoken that we thought about uh, about how we thought about it at the time. He's apologised and he knows it was wrong, and we now need to work on it on it to give him the best opportunity to learn from this, concentrate on his racing, and ensure he doesn't do it anymore. He knows that, and he knows it wasn't right. Here's the bit I like. He said, uh, I'm not the type of guy to, who kicks in the face someone who is on their knees. That is not right. That's that's one of those lovely sort of European versions of a British phrase. Obviously, what I think our friend uh, Gunther Steiner uh, is trying to say there uh, is we don't kick someone when they are down. The point is, it's ridiculous, in my opinion, this response, frankly. Um, the idea that he needs to... He's not a child. This is a fully grown you know, chap, he's well-versed in what is socially acceptable and what is professional. I mean, it come, that's for me the big, the biggest glaring issue with uh, Hass's response to all this. I, I'm not a fan of cancel culture. I think it's incredibly damaging and I think a lot of people lose careers far too quickly for stuff that could ease, could could genuinely be sorted out. Um, I, but in this case, I, I can't, I honestly can't see how, how he's being allowed to get away with this. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit baffling, really. I get it that you know his 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 team, uh, where his his group of people, his dad, they're contributing a massive amount of money to Hass, a team that, as we all know, need as much sponsorship as they can possibly get. But surely there's a point when, even though it's a business, you morally have to say that we you can't accept that. Well, yeah, he he continued to say some things that I did like. Um, He said, this is a young man who needs to grow up. And for sure, we have dealt with this and we will continue to deal with this. He said, we are not saying this is okay and letting him get away with it. We are educating him and we'll keep on educating him. What more can you say, Mm -hmm. really? Um, And um, the full details of what we did and what we are doing, I don't want to disclose. Um, This is not done and dusted. And it is an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. We are certainly not moving on like nothing ever happened. Um, yeah. And, he, and he's acknowledged the social media response, which I think um, most of our podcast listeners will have been involved in, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I was going to say, in, uh, it's one of the more sort of entertaining parts of Instagram these days. Uh, if anybody's bored out there listening to this, um, if you flick through to any of the Hass posts in the last ooh, two or three months, the top comment almost always will be hashtag say no to... Voldemort. Insert, insert, insert nasty name person here. Um, that's almost always the top voted comment. And uh, yeah, it, I don't know. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just kind of interesting to see that people are, are still, they're not they're not letting Hass forget the sort of disgruntled feeling, I think. Yes, for sure. But I, I, I'm, I'm glad that he's finally addressed it because you can't have Gunther being quiet about something. It just doesn't work. Mm. Um that's not his personality either. <laughs> no, it's it's not. So I, I would have loved to see that on a TV interview, to be honest, because it would have kicking face would have come out a lot better. But um, um, <laughs> somebody would have remixed that into his song a hundred percent as well. The, the meme potential is vast. Hold on, I've got to just flick back to it because it was funny. I couldn't even read it the way that he wrote it. Um, 
I am not the type of guy who kicks in the face someone who is on their knees. <laughs> That is such. I, I mean, that is just such a like charmingly European way of putting putting something like that to, to the general media at large. Oh, brilliant! What else is happening? Aston Martin's title sponsor is Cognizant. Is Cognizant, that- yeah, yes. Um, that was yeah. I think that was a slight surprise for some people because. I mean, you know, we were going from racing points. I think a lot of people were expecting BWT, which is uh, better water technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of us were expecting them to carry on. Um, so that was a bit that was a bit of a kind of out of the blue. Cognizant, um, by the way, for those of you who don't know, are an American multinational company. Um, they provide, I think, mostly digital IT services, you know, sort of consultancy, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, and do cloud-based engineering. Um, so... Not exactly the most entertainingly interesting company. It's not, let's let's not lie, it's not like being sponsored by a tobacconist or a company that will provide something that's going to kill you, but it's good for the team. They need the cash and, um, you know, hopefully that will give my boy Seb a good chance of having a fairly decent car this year. It will. I mean, I, I was. I, I just had. A, I looked them up just before this show, and uh, yeah, sixteen point eight billion uh, was their revenue in twenty nineteen. So they're they're not a small little operation. So I'd imagine that Aston Martin have some pretty good sponsor parties from these guys. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I should hope so. Maybe they want to invite some of us if they need people to, for, to fill a room. For sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody for sure. from Aston Martin listening out there? Uh, we are all <laughs> excellent party goers. Um, so Brian Humphreys, the CEO of Cognizant. Co- Cognizant. How do you say it? Cognizant, I think. That sounds... I don't know. They're all American. They can't oh, pronounce it. First they can't it was say Daryl English words. Daryl on Cognizant. Darylton. Darylton, that was it. Um, he said, yes, we're absolutely thrilled to be a partner of Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One team. Our global brands have much in common. Okay, right. Um, and he t- continues to say what they have in common. Uh, Will, I, can, can you predict what he's going to say here? Uh, that they're professional and their businesses and uh, the <laughs> cognizant of world champions in IT solutions. <laughs> and with a world champion, how, I don't know, they'll make some spurious business rubbish up as usual. We are both innovative, forward-looking firms that like oh. to move fast, stay focused, and lead from the front. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wowee. That, that is really individual. That's so unique. I can't think of any other business who could possibly identify with those really basic characters. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. That was that was like cheese and bread, that was. That was just straight off the shelf. That was with the pickle on it as well. The oh, Yeah. Yeah. What is it about companies? I, I just... You've got to relate to the people, like man. That, Don't Ollie, you? If we ever get like that as a group, we need to stop because you... Oh, that makes me so disappointed. In fact, actually... billion and that's all you can come up with. You've well, taken the mickey. Well, Will, if, if, if I was to compare the Formula Nerds um, against these, I, I would probably say we're, all three of us are innovative. <laughs> <laughs> we all look forward and we love to move fast, stay focused and leave from the front. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, I mean, that's like that's like saying, yes. So the things that I have in common with Sebastian Vettel are that me and him are both blonde. We're both men. We're both living in this tough, difficult world, and we both need air. I mean, come on. As long as you don't like gardening and uh, <laughs> farming, Will. Well, yeah, actually, you're really, from yeah. Bristol, so... 
Oh, good. Here we go. Yes. Oh, that's all we do around here is we get on our tractors and we go round and we sort of look at we look at trees and go, oh, I had sex and cider under that once. <laughs> Sorry, you probably can't put that in. <laughs> Boom. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited about the, the new Aston Martin team. What, what are you thinking, Will? As 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 the newer fan, you're you're the voice of the of the, the, the younger of the generation. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm very excited. Um, I've been a Sebastian Vettel fan admittedly only for probably about a year and a half, but still an ardent Vettel fan. And um, this is as much about seeing him finally get a decent car as it is about also seeing Aston Martin return to the uh, return to the paddock. Um, the The history of Aston Martin isn't brilliant. Um, just to give you a brief idea to our listeners, if they don't know, um, they competed in 1959 and uh, the 1960 season. They didn't do very well, um, even though in the 59 season they had Carroll Shelby driving for them. Now, Carroll Shelby, I'm sure as many of you know, was the man who was instrumental in, devent, uh, in uh, developing sorry, the Ford GT40, the uh, uh, Le Mans winning car, mm-hmm. um, as well as, um, uh, you know, his, his, his own line um, of uh, Shelby vehicles with Ford. Um, a, motor, a, mo- a motor racing legend. Uh, the best position that he actually managed to achieve in the, in the 59 season was eighth. So that gives you a, a pretty good idea of how well they did. Um so yeah for me i don't think people should read too much into that personally because ultimately for lawrence stroll this is definitely a business move it's just having a good relatable name um and you know i mean the team is it's so long ago it's not as if they're going to have an engineer hanging around who cocked <laughs> things up for them in 1960 and no. now he's going to make it all a pig's breakfast this year um but yeah it's I, I don't know sorry i'm waffling i'm just excited i'm just really pleased but they, they have been in the, well, they've sort of been around the sport for a little while now. I think it was, when did they come back as the sponsor for Red Bull? Oh, Red Bull. Oh. Um, was it 2014 when they fell out with Renault? I think, I think they returned, oh, we're going to get emails saying I got this wrong, but I think they returned <laughs> in 2016. And also Adrian Newey, who is obviously the man um, of Red Bull, he, he helped develop the Valkyrie hypercar for Aston Martin as well. Oh, so I didn't know that. They, they do have a little bit of love between them. So I, I, whilst they are a new team into F1 with the same people that work for Racing Point, um, mm. they're, 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 not, they're, they're not completely new to it. So I'm, yeah. I, I have very high hopes for them. Um, and for Vettel, and the day, if, for anyone who's listened to this podcast since its conception, will know that I've never said anything like that before. That is, this is, this is frankly unprecedented. Uh, <laughs> that uh, word that we all learned at the beginning of uh, last year. That Boris Johnson forced <laughs> down our throats, yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, yeah, they've got many of the components which should make it a really great team. They've got good leadership. I mean, I know people don't like Lawrence Stroll, but he hasn't exactly been sitting around all year, as he, you know, Racing Point were being very competitive last year. They've got evidently a good team. They know what they're doing. Their pit stops are not slow. Um, um, just as importantly, they've got bags of cash. Yep. Indeed. And I think that's sort of important in F1. Um, yeah, for, for I heard this that year. somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Let's hope it's not for 2022, but... Um, <laughs> God. The other most interesting thing I think we can talk about, Will, is this is very important for you, the man who often misses Grand Prix. So they've called it a significant change. I, I would consider it sort of 10 minutes. But what they, they brought in this idea for um, 
the races to start at 10 past the hour. And that was so that um, broadcasters across the world who weren't doing all of the pre-build-up like Sky Sports for an hour and a half to build a bit of tension rather than just, and we go to Formula One, boop, lights out and away we go. So yeah. it's, it's a bit of, bit of uh, drama. However, that clearly hasn't worked. So they are now going to begin on the hour again, which is much better for me because when I, when I tell when I tell my missus, I say, right, the race starts at two today and it hasn't started at two. She's like, you're bloody lying again. You, you, yeah. you just don't want to do the housework. Uh, <laughs> so. I have that exact same response from my parents. Yeah, I can agree. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm 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 fine with that. And that extra ten minutes did nothing really for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that it's going to make the world of difference really to very many people. Ten minutes before a broadcast or after it, you know, it, it's really not that uh, that vital. I mean, the only reason it it messes up my day is because I like to live my life like a 1950s romantic detective novel, and I only eat lunch at half past one, and it takes a good forty five minutes because. <laughs> because I'm not a yob. So, um, uh, yeah, for those of you who live in the modern world, it'll probably be fine. Well, I just had a sandwich just as I was starting this podcast, mate, uh, just on my desk here. It took me about three and a half minutes to eat the whole thing as well. Oh, dear. You've got um, to enjoy your food, mate. Come on. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the, the only other change, I think, is uh, there's only going to be two hours of free practice on a Friday. Uh, they've taken, what is it, half an hour off? That's interesting. That sounds to me more like a significant change that teams... Well, I mean, I suppose teams don't really have much of a say, but um, free practice... I mean, for for people like uh, uh, um, sorry, um, McLaren um, and Red Bull, when they're changing... Because, you know, when they changed their um, setups, I think it was Barcelona last year, to high rake and low rake. They, I think they did a switch. Having extra time in uh, free practice... Uh, that I would have assumed would be absolutely crucial for the data. Someone can tell me in the comments how wrong I am about that. Please do. No, no, um, no, no, you're right. Every minute on track is essential. And we've seen that in the races where they were rained off. I think it was a Nürburgring, um, etc. So, yes, the, the, the FIA didn't actually say why. They've just said the change. I, yeah. I don't know that that's the worst thing in the world, though. I mean, we've seen, is it Stefano, uh, uh, Stefano Domenicale um, coming in to replace uh, Mr. Chase? So potentially this is the start of him making a few subtle changes, just letting everybody know that he's, you know, he's not going to be a walkover. He's going to happily take take responsibility and just get on and do things. And I'm I'm really pleased to see that. Um, I, I mean, I haven't had any major gripes with the, with the, well... <laughs> With the way that races are run by Formula One, anyway. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's. Uh, I think it. I think it'll be fine. I've, I'm kind of indifferent to it. Okay. Well, um, I. I think let's let's take a minute, Will. Um, we're going to replay the interview that we held yesterday with Nigel Holmes, who is the logistics manager for Silverstone, and he's going to tell us all about Lewis and its chewing gum and uh, James Hunt driving him round Brands Hatch. And a few other little bits. So um, we'll be back on on the other side of this. Fantastic. Welcome along to the Cut to the Race podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. Nigel, how are you? Uh, Very well, Ollie. Thank you very much for asking. Well, first of all, thank you for being here, Nigel. Uh, We kind of stumbled into this opportunity by me getting in trouble with my missus. Uh, I'm beginning a model collection and Nigel very graciously sold me a model of his online and through our, you know, as F1 fans do, through your conversations, you get to learn who somebody is a fan of, their experiences. And Nigel, you had a very, very interesting 
appointment at one time at a little known track called Silverstone. Yeah, indeed. Um, it's a, a bit of a strange story, I guess. Um, I, I got uh, rather unceremoniously uh, fired from a job that, uh, that I've been doing for a few years um, and uh, was looking for a job. Signed up with uh, a local agency uh, near Silverstone Racetrack and um, they sent me to Silverstone for a day's work. I said, you know, you're not doing anything, get over to Silverstone, they could do with a day's work. I thought, that, that, that sounds interesting. So um, I turned up and uh, met with some crazy people in the logistics department there and uh, ended up doing a 14-hour day uh, and everything you could possibly imagine that, that could possibly have gone wrong went wrong. And uh, despite that, they said to me, do you want to come back tomorrow? And uh, I ended up staying there for 18 months, getting on for two years, I suppose. Uh, first of all, as agency, and then I got uh, promoted or employed, if you like, by, uh, by Silverstone Racetrack Direct, uh, which was uh, quite an, an interesting opportunity. Uh, and I did that for a few, uh, few months, six months or so before uh, for other things took, uh, took my interest. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, what did go wrong? Day one. Uh, uh, day one. Um, well, I think uh, I started when uh, England was in the grips of a bit of a heat wave. So uh, we had uh, 35 degrees or more of heat every day consecutively for about uh, six to eight weeks or more. And um, uh, we were moving things around the racetrack in non-refrigerated vans. So everything melted. Uh, we were negotiating uh, the perimeter road against all sorts of traffic coming the other way from race cars to tires to you name it. And, um, and try, just trying to keep everybody happy. But the logistics department at Silverstone, uh, certainly at that time, uh, was, was, was an interesting department because we had uh, three or four full-time people, a load of agency people who came in to help. And uh, the job was basically to move stuff wherever it needed to go within the track boundaries. And given that it's a, it's a big site uh, uh, all the way around the racetrack uh, and all the way back the other side, uh, some, some of it was one way. You could go this way, not that way. There were shortcuts if you knew about it. Uh, but, but basically our job was to get whatever was needed from wherever it currently was to wherever it had to be and do it as fast as you can without breaking the speed limit. <laughs> there's there's the racer in you coming out. There's <laughs> So you're basically taking maggots and beckets with a handcart. Uh, yeah, not quite. Um, <laughs> yeah, Silver, Silverstone provided um, a range of uh, branded vehicles. You, you, if you're ever lucky enough, you might see them on the, on the TV. Uh, they're the ones that are flying around the perimeter road at, uh, at any event, delivering whatever needs to be delivering. Um, so yeah, that, that's basically what went wrong on day one. Um, apart from the fact that I was there from eight o'clock in the morning till midnight or, or something beyond that, uh, and then back at work nine o'clock the next day. So, and that, that was pretty much, that's how it started and that's how it went on. Matt said to me that you actually worked the Grand Prix 2018 and 2019, um, so can you just talk us through what you would normally be doing on, on a setup of a, a Formula One weekend? Yeah. Um, 
I, I guess um, from a logistics point of view, the whole thing starts about 12 weeks before uh, the race actually comes to town. 12 weeks before something like that, everything starts to click into place. We get uh, loads and loads of lists of what needs to happen, what needs to be where, when it needs to be there. Um, so we're starting to prepare. We're getting stock in, be it beverages, drinks, food, whatever it is. Um, and then as the days go on and you get nearer and nearer to the race, then it starts to get really exciting. Then things really start to ramp up. About uh, two weeks before, things are really starting to get hot uh, because everything's coming in, everything is ready or as near as it can be. The lawns are getting mowed, the flags are going up, the circuit's getting dry clean uh, and all the rest of the stuff that, that needs to happen before a race comes in. And then about a week before that, the circus comes to town. So that's the big day when the Ferrari trucks start coming in and the Williams trucks are coming in. The paddock gets taken over by all of these amazing Formula One teams that, that pile in with all their transporters. The FIA turn up with all of their transporters. And all of a sudden, our, our wonderful little racetrack, uh, which you know we spend all year working in, is, is not ours anymore. It belongs to the FIA. They take over the whole thing, lock, stock, and barrel. So, uh, and with particular reference, if you know Silverstone and, and you know the wing in Silverstone, that, that very famous structure which, which nearly bankrupted the circuit not that long ago, um, that, that structure is about half a mile long. And we used to spend all day walking up and down that, delivering things and putting things into place. Um, but, but that wing complex and the paddock outside of it becomes the property of the FIA and you can't get in, you can't get out. Um, but all these amazing structures start to take place. Ferrari turn up and they start building this enormous building uh, and then all the other teams turn up and all of a sudden you, you, you're, the whole paddock is lined with all of these fairy tale things that you see on the television. And if you, you see... Sky Sports and, and look at uh, people like Martin Brundle and, uh, and the others that are, that are commentating. They sit in the paddock uh, and all of these structures, all these hospitality suites and everything else are there behind them in screenshot. And we, we get to see that being built. We get to see the cranes and the forklifts and everything else that, that puts these enormous structures together. Um, and then it gets closer and closer until you get a day when it comes around and the first car hits the track. And that's the bit that everything's, everybody's waiting for. That Thursday before it all starts, the first car gets out onto the track. Um, and then it's like, well, now now we're, we're actually rocking and rolling. <laughs> Things are starting to happen now. So you will have worked the the Grand Prix, but you, you were also there for other championships as well. I mean, I was at um, Silverstone back in 2015. I was there for the Blancpain. And I was also there in 2016 for the British Touring Car Championship. So, you know, Silverstone is a very, very busy racetrack. What are the differences, would you say, in the setup to, to what it's like setting up Formula One to, to what it is with any other championship? Um, Formula One is, is, is of its own. Um, basically, we, we, once we hand over the wing of, uh, at Silverstone to the FIA for the Grand Prix, it is restricted access for anybody and everybody. You need the right pass to get in to do anything. 
Um, and I suppose the, the amazing thing about it is the wing is half a mile long. There, there are thereabouts. Uh, it's over three or four floors, depending on which section of it you are in. And we, as a logistics team, completely empty that wing of everything before anybody comes in. And that includes all of the kitchens, all the catering equipment, all the carpets come up, everything that is in Every that. time they come in. Every time they come in, it all goes down. <laughs> yeah. So we, we spend a week, two weeks or more taking everything out of the wing so that it is completely clear. And in come the FIA and in come two 32-foot long trailers full of plants and all the stuff for the F1 paddock and you name it, it all comes in. And we can't get there. So to answer your question, Emma, um, other events are, are, are tiny by comparison. We just do them. It's just like, oh, yeah, BTCC are here. We need to do a few bits and pieces. <laughs> it's nothing like Formula One. So with this, uh, you know, the constant evolution of the track, you know, for me, for instance, you know, I had this misguided vision in my early years as a race fan that, a racetrack only does racing. Now, you will have different formulas, different series come in, but there are also events outside of racing that take place there. So is it is it really, I guess the word I'm looking for, worth your time as a race enthusiast to know that, you know, Justin Bieber is coming to Silverstead. You have to deal with that sort of thing. Is it kind of uh, one of those days where you dread going to it, or is the allure of Silverson so big that no matter what the event is, it's still kind of an honor to tread on that hallowed ground. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, was an honor working there. Um, and it was, it, it took my breath away every time I drove into the circuit. So, you know, arriving at work on a, on a Monday morning or, or, or any other day was, was something really, really special. You drove in through security and you are driving through Silverstone Racetrack. And that's something that very few people ever get to do, let alone go to do it as a as as a job. So, uh, and I got paid for it as well. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It, it, it's 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 an enormous place. Um, it has its own everything. So its own cafes and its own restaurants and its own kitchens and you you name it. It's like a little uh, little town all of its own. Um, but come race day, that whole thing changes because you get, we had a, a control room set up, which used to monitor the traffic locally, the bus routes, the train routes in, what was happening on the main roads into the circuit, what was happening with fire control, ambulance control, our own medical center, choppers came in, uh, you know, it was a landing pad for choppers and uh, helicopters, I should say, um, and you know, Silverstone airspace on race day is one of the busiest airspaces in the world you get that many people coming in and going out including the justin biebers and, and all the rest of it um, and yeah we nearly ran over a few people quite a few times you know i nearly knocked sir vettel off his bike as he was push biking into the paddock one day. <laughs> <laughs> i could see ollie's upset that you missed them it seems <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that vein, I have to tell on you a little bit, you know, obviously you're going to be rubbing elbows with the heroes for all people like us that watch F1 week in, week out and live and breathe it. So who were some of your best and or worst interactions? And I understand there's one about Sir Jackie Stewart and the facilities there. 
that was yeah yeah i so jackie um well i didn't actually know he was in the building at, at the time I, I happened to walk uh, past your room and i could hear his voice and i thought well that he's got such a distinctive voice jackie stewart that mm-hmm. you you, you you can't miss him from anybody else. But he, he happened to walk out as I was going past and, and asked me um, if very politely if I knew where the toilets were. So uh, that it was my pleasure to uh, to to take him to to the toilet and well, not take him physically to the toilet. <laughs> we wouldn't fault you if you did. Uh, it, that was quite an amazing thing because you know it, it wasn't a few weeks later after that that Ross Braun asked me the same question. <laughs> well, he, he, was, he was in the, um, in the section of the wing down, uh, down near uh, race control, and, uh, and I, I had to deliver some stuff over there, champagne for the Formula 2 uh, winners, um, which we were just, just delivering. So we, we passed in and, and taken this stuff up there. Uh, and there was Ross Braun, there was Chase Carey, and you've got all these people that are like, well, you know. Um, and I'm like, hello, Ross, how are you? He said, you couldn't point me to the loo because you died. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the mind goes blank. You go, where the hell's the loo? I'm thinking about this. I don't know where the loo is. Lou, Lou, who is Lou? Yeah. What is Lou? Why yeah. is Lou? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Ross Braun I took to took over there, and and Jackie Stewart as well. <laughs> but yeah, you get to meet a lot of people. Um, you know, all of the drivers certainly are milling around. So uh, in the right place at the right time, you get to meet them all. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's the bathroom or the loo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess that's the place to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a note for Silverstone to take on board. Maybe move the toilets where people can find <laughs> Pay for an early access just so you know where everything is in case one of your heroes asks you where to go. That's insider <laughs> tips. From everyone that you've met um, at Silverstone, Nigel, has there been anyone that's maybe given you any diva demands or any particular strange requests or anything like that? Well, uh, I guess I can tell you now that I don't work there anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, Lewis is the diva, without a doubt. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they can't find me because they don't work there now. So, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, we, we got a list of, uh, of all these things that, uh, that Lewis wanted that we had to supply. Um, you know, crazy things like um, he had to have two packets of a uh, very specific chewing gum and um, you'll never talk to me again now if I see him, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep this yeah. for the exclusive section of the nerd. That's yeah, what we'll do. <laughs> so um, it, it was uh, things like that. Um, what else did he ask for? It had to be like a couple of clean towels. I want an iPhone charger. You know, I, I was like, you know, really use your PA can't do this for you. But yeah, it was a list that long of, of all the stuff that Lewis needed. He was the diva without a doubt. But I have to say, a really, really nice guy um, when he wanted to be. I met him a few times. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, he was a really cool guy. Um, so he was really nice as long as you had his gum for him. Yeah, quite. <laughs> I, I'm, total, I'm totally guiding the question there. I'm sure he's an absolutely <laughs> lovely person. Out of all the teams, were there any you know moments that you saw teams were better organized, less organized? Was there a disparity in the speed with which they constructed their structures? Was there anything that set a team apart for the better or the worse that you saw in your time there? 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mercedes, were always the team to um, uh, to to watch because they were and still are they're like millimeter perfect, and I mean millimeter perfect on everything. So their tracks would be parts, and they'd have you know, however many two, three uh, big thirty-two foot long, uh, what you would call semi tracks, um, that would come into the circuit, and they were always all parked millimeter perfect so they were you know 28 millimeters apart they and i swear they would take a, a ruler to the front that every truck was exactly positioned right and and it was like teutonic german efficiency they had to be absolutely perfect and everything else about the team was exactly the same it was all regimented and perfect Whereas Red Bull will just turn up and go, stick the truck over there, be fine. <laughs> I'm not really surprised by that. <laughs> it seems like they have that new boy manic energy. Maybe it's the Red Bull. It's the yeah. amount of caffeine they're ingesting that just makes them run around like rabid woodland creatures. <laughs> uh, I think you could well be right. Um, yeah. And Ferrari were always very quiet. They didn't really talk to you. Um the Williams guys would always be very, very friendly and sit and take the time to, to have a chat with you. Um, so, yeah, a bit of everything. Renault really ne- never got to uh, to really speak to them. Um, but, yeah, of all of them, Mercedes were just outstandingly perfect in everything they did. Let's see, one of the things, and that's very intriguing to me because we all know, you know, Nicky Lauda had a very substantial impact on that team and one of his biggest motivators in life is you must always be striving for further success and he believed that precision and excellence and execution was a habit so you couldn't just do it in your driving or your finances or if you're a pilot in his case it had to go down to every single facet of your life and it's really fascinating to me to see that even the guys park like you say even the guys parking the lorries or the trucks take pride in that and execute that to the best of their abilities week in and week out. And that instills that winning mindset. So maybe we should give Ferrari driving lessons for both the drivers on track and the lorries. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Poor Ferrari. I, they had a, a terrible year last year by any, by any standards. But uh, you got to say they probably brought a little bit of that on uh, on themselves uh, I'm sure Seb would have had a better year if it had kicked off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, he'll have a good year this year. I believe Seb will do well this year. I know there's a lot of people that are saying that uh, maybe he won't, but um, from, from my perspective, I think it'll put some new oomph into Seb, and uh, I think he'll do well. I I have to agree. Uh, like You know, I discussed earlier in the week, you know, I am going through a uh, – identity crisis as a fan being a diehard Vettel fan and a Tifosi and now those are no longer one and the same uh there may be a color change in my wardrobe and decor coming up but uh I think you're right you know Seb Vettel is well positioned as he could be to succeed this year uh do you have any other bold predictions for this year coming up uh bold predictions um yeah, I, I think uh, Fernando will uh, will seek to impress, um, and I think he'll do very well. Um, if ever there was a guy who was focused on on winning, it will be Fernando. Um, so I'm expecting him to do well this year. Um, Chico will have 
uh, a tough drive in front of him. I think Max will be wanting to stamp on him as quickly as he can. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that'll be an interesting one. Um, and I hope he's got his uh, his big boy pants on because I think he's going to need them. <laughs> what was, um, do you have like any highlights from the 2020 season? I mean, we, we discussed this in our previous podcasts. Um, we went through all our favourite highlights, um, races, um, any standout performances from any of the drivers? Or is there anything from last year that really stood out for you? It was quite a unique year in the history of Formula One. Um, yeah, I, I guess it was unique in terms of uh, how fast it went from, from start to finish and the limited time they had to do anything. And I bet the logistics of that were really, really complicated. Um, you, you're probably aware that the teams leapfrog races, so uh, the trucks, etc., that come to one race are not the ones that go to the next race. They they go to the one after, and it, it leapfrogs all the time. So that must have been an, a logistical nightmare. I wish it had been involved in that. Uh, that would have been fun. Um, I don't know. I think um, Lewis obviously did a good job. Lewis always does a good job. Um, seven-time world champion. Uh, providing you signs on the dotted line and doesn't ask for too many more new cars, I guess he'll, he'll, he'll be driving next year. <laughs> um, uh, other standout performances, it was good to see Max win a race at the end of the year. Uh, he deserved it. So my last question, I've saved this one for last. In our conversation earlier in the week, uh, you'd mentioned something about having a drink with the one and only James Hunt. Oh, it's true. I yeah. would be doing a great disservice if I didn't ask you for that story as well, please, sir. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that I can actually tell you that story, but um, yeah, I met James a couple of times. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about um, uh, what happened. I met James uh, at a, a company due in England at Milford Proving Ground, um, and uh, he took me uh, for a ride. Uh, both there and uh, and at uh, um, Brands Hatch. Uh, so James and I went around the track together. In the car with James Hunt. In the car with James Hunt in a Thundersports uh, car. Um, oh. He frightened the life out of Especially if you'd seen what he was drinking before he got in the car. Uh, <laughs> what a lad yeah James what what a guy Um, but um, I also met him at um, in fact what happened was uh, after the after the Brands Hatch uh, experience I said to him well I'm actually going to Zandvoort next week with my father uh, taking him to Zandvoort to to watch the Dutch Grand Prix this is a long time ago because uh, both uh, Alain Prost and Nicky Lauda were driving for McLaren that year so you can pinpoint it from there. Um, but um, I asked him uh, if it would be okay if I brought my my dad up to meet him um, at Zandvoort. And he said, sure, come up. And I took my father up the steps to the commentary box where James Hunt and Murray Walker were commentating uh, and knocked on the door and James came out and he said, ah, Nigel, this must be your dad. How are you, John? And because he'd remembered my father's name, my father, was, like, the look on his face was quite incredible. But that was James to a T. You could talk to him about anything, anytime. He had a brilliant memory. And he was such a nice guy. 
and you know would do anything for you so yeah very proud to have met him a few times and uh, a hell of a driver well we know why big you know what <laughs> yeah yeah that's what he was interested in <laughs> <laughs> fair play uh that's an absolutely incredible story. Do you miss that? Do you think that the current drivers could learn something from that? Because that is just so relatable a human being as James Hunt was. I feel, to me at least, some of the current drivers lack that panache, that relatability uh, on the grid. Do you feel like we have lost some of the heart and soul and spirit of F1 with our drivers? Well, I guess it had to change. Um, it really did. You know, uh, the days of, uh, of of James being sick before a race and um, getting out of the car and having a having a smoke and uh, and a can of beer couldn't last in this era, um, and probably nor, nor should they. But um, yeah, some drivers are, are easy to talk to and they're nice people, and you can chat with them, and they're happy to to talk to you. And some are very aloof because they're focused on what they're doing. Um, and that, and that's, you know, that that's just human nature, isn't it? It's, everybody's gonna, gonna approach it differently. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's a totally professional thing now. Uh, whereas in the days when I started watching, and I watched Jim Clark, Jack Brabham, and Graham Hill racing, it was, you know, it, it was a bit more of a of a lads' weekend out, I guess. F1, the ultimate lads weekend now. Ollie, we need to yeah. step our game up. Well, it, it's, <laughs> when James started with Heskiff, that's exactly what it was. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, they were the first people to uh, to set up a table and chairs and have some champagne. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's how it was. And cook out in the paddock just because they could. If they're there, they may as well enjoy their time. And now I think James Hunt is a standard bearer for tailgating or, or the weekend buildup for fans everywhere. You can't do it better than it was done by the first man to do it. (laughs) True enough. (laughs) Wow. So out of all those races you've been to work, the amazing drivers you've interacted with and seen on track, who is the one when your head hits pillow at the end of the day, you close your eyes and smile at that memory at, you know, watching that driver, that track that just still takes your breath away. Um, yeah, I, for me, uh, Monte Carlo, Monaco is the ultimate Grand Prix. And um, I've been there twice. I was very fortunate to go there with my, my father. He was a great F1 fan. Um, and he, he flew me over there for my 21st birthday and we sat in the grandstands and watched the race. Um, so that was a, a while ago now. Um, <laughs> we won't have you divulge what year that was. We're not here to uh, embarrass anybody. I haven't said it, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know... That I was privileged to to watch a race which included very famous drivers like Mario Andretti and and people like that, um, and it, it was it was a you know it was is and, and will always be the ultimate racetrack. Uh, so to see drivers driving around there, uh, yeah, um, idols, Nicky Nicky Lauda definitely he's he was the man. Um, Totally, totally focused, but a really nice guy as well. So, you know, you have it all. Wow. My 21st birthday seems uh, 
horrible at best by comparison now. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember mine, so I... <laughs> I do remember mine, and mine was spent in a little country called Iraq. So, <laughs> about as far from the glitz and glam as you could possibly get. <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was there of my own volition because I make poor life choices, uh, which seems to be a, a theme and a trend. I'm sure it's not. But you've made the right life choice now because you're following Formula One from America. So, you know, that's great. I see. I think I like to take the road less traveled. So being a Vettel fan, being a – well, Tafosi's not the road less traveled on the whole. But last year, very few of us were out here wearing the colors and proudly claiming to be a Tafosi. But being an F1 Sebastian Vettel fan in America, in the heart of NASCAR country, uh, it's a lonely existence out here across the pond. Uh, well, yeah, maybe. Okay, so maybe we leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emma, do you have any more questions? I'm just blown away. By yeah, the idea I am of James so, in a car. I'm just so fascinated by this conversation. It has it has blown me away because we rarely get to speak to. Um, anyone who has worked at racetracks or behind the scenes uh, Formula One, not just Formula One, but like other championships as well. And it has been such a fascinating um, conversation and given us and our followers such a great insight into the little things that go on behind the scenes, but are actually quite a huge part of, of getting a race weekend together. So thank you very, very much for, for giving us some of that knowledge. It has been really, really fascinating. Uh, you, you're very, very welcome. There are, there are a load of stories, but um, yeah, it, it was an amazing time. And uh, I was very proud to work for Silverstone. Um, you know, when you get that Team Silverstone uh, shirt and, uh, and you're part of the, that, that small group of people who make it happen it was it was an amazing experience so uh i guess i should sign off by wishing silverstone racetrack well uh they've had the difficulties this year um i know they posted a couple of races but financially that's uh that's not doing it for them so Stuart, if you ever get to hear this Stuart pringle uh wishing you well sir and uh good luck to the track and uh let's let's hear it for for 2021 bring it on So that was us catching up with Nigel Holmes, who was the uh, logistics manager for Silverstone. Um, nice chap, wasn't he, Will? Yeah, that was fascinating. I, I really had no idea that, you know, they went to such lengths to make everything perfect. That was really interesting. It was indeed. And uh, the funny story behind that is um, Matt was actually buying some F1 car models, you know, the the, the super realistic, detailed oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, replicas. Unfortunately, he's not on, so he can't tell you which ones, but... Um, I'm sure he will share them in the group, but he, he started chatting to him and he said, so, so what do you do, Nigel? And he said, well, I used to work at Silverstone, didn't I? And um, so it's, it's amazing how you can meet people in this world. Um, so we thought, yes, we'll bring Nigel on for a chat during the off season. Um, he can tell us a few good stories. So thank you, Nigel. <laughs> Um, and that's all we've got time for this week. So thank you for listening. Will, would you like to plug some socials for me, please? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so some of us oh, so, uh, in in your best radio voice yeah okay um no pressure are you looking for some of f1's first hand 
space. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I had it. I nearly had it. I nearly had it. I nearly had it. Okay. New from Asda, Robert Dias, The Range, and JML, it's Formula Nerds, the F1-based content creator company who are here to help you through the weird, tumultuous, and sometimes fastly confusing world of Formula One. With a whole host of nerds, buffs, and people in the know, we are the place to come for your news, gossip, insight, comedy, and memes. I love your face when you're doing it. For the listeners, imagine how his face would look. That's exactly how it does. It's like a, a scrunched up, angry. Yeah, it's all co- every sinew in my face goes tense, and it's it's just it's really odd. We we do have a new member of the nerds. Actually, I've forgotten to to welcome him in on the show, but he is um, his name is Dan Palmer. He's a younger chap getting into the sports journalism world, and he has um, he is working with Emma, who is our, our editor, and he is uh, writing for the GP two and three season. So um, do have over to our website. He's, he's a he's, very nice chap. He's very lovely, and his article is absolutely brilliant. I generally don't really tend to read many articles online. I'll make that confession now, um, but it works so well as a kind of companion article to some of what Emma writes he gave a really good breakdown this year uh, not this year sorry this week um, of the changes to GP2 and GP3 I wasn't really ever sort of sure how the hell any of that works and he explained it really clearly so definitely going to be one to watch and uh, keep an eye out for his stuff in the future indeed so you can uh, read his stuff over at the Formula Nerds sorry FormulaNerds.com um or you can head over to our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash formula, uh, formula nerds. Um, <laughs> Will, you must have missed that episode. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I've had a terrible weekend. I'm very tired. I'm, yeah, I, oh. I forgot. Bless your heart. Well, we will, uh, we will sign it off there. But um, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. And um, once again, we hope, Matt, you hope you're feeling better, brother. Um, yeah. Hope, hope, you're, uh, hope you're on the mend. So, We will see you next week. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.